This is called Precious Things. This is a real true story. <laughs> Gin-soaked stumble off the train, over the gap, up the stairs, and a lurch onto the platform. Up more stairs onto the next train, a smaller one, a trolley, the green line. My commute home involves a ten-minute walk, train rides on red line to green line to blue line, then a bus, shuttle, and then a twenty-minute walk. That was why a stop at Shay's Pub was part of the routine, especially on this soaking wet night. With Hurricane Floyd blowing Boston into mud, it may have been prudent to have headed straight home, but Shay's was still open. <laughs> and I was still alive. <laughs> Those two factors are plenty enough to warrant a visit to Amy, the bartender, Patricia, the waitress, and John, the owner. Around eight, with the wind whipping trash bins down Harvard Street and the night thick with stinging precipitate, John decided the weather was enough to close down and sent Amy, Patricia, and me home, the only three people in the bar. <laughs> Government Center Station was deserted that night. On a non-hurricane August evening, it would have been claustrophobic with tourists, cynical office drunks, and annoying children, meaning to me anybody under 30. The poor air circulation. The poor air circulation and clotted crowd would have kept the temperature a stagnant, sticky 100 degrees, but with Floyd churning Valkyries overhead and torrents of dirty water leaking from the ceilings into the large orange barrels scattered throughout the station, and with just a few dozen people left running for cover underground, Government Center Station was serene. Even the anti-abortion man, the old guy with the sandwich board of dead fetus Polaroids who would press a pamphlet glassy-eyed into any hand within his arm's reach, had decided to halt his message for the evening and seek shelter from the water of Floyd. I had Pink Floyd in my Walkman. It seemed fitting. <laughs> Point me at the sky was playing as I made my way from the green line to the blue line platform. Sid Barrett, frigging miracle of a musician. Lurching seemed to be my ticket to ride that night since I was doing it quite expertly. I did so down the slippery stairs, part four of my epic journey home. When I got to the platform, I had just missed an outbound train on the blue line headed for my stop, Orient Heights. I could see into the last two cars. There were only three passengers. The station itself was deserted. The chipped, filthy, blue-and-white striped walls needed a new paint job, or at least a good scrubbing, as the dust and grease of trains, humans, and their consumptions coated the station's insides in grime. The fading rumble of the just-departed train and the trickles of leaking water had a gothic permeance in the dank atmosphere, and my reverberating footsteps added a creepy heartbeat counterpoint. I could hear in the dull echoes just how deserted the station was. I walked toward the benches, down at the other end of the platform, regretting a bit how drunk I was given the strange environment of the station. There was an old man, though, sitting on the last bench. I was in a nervous mood to chat, so I sat down next to him. If I were laying on an empty beach and someone sat right next to me, I'd throttle them for being stupid, then beat them for invading my privacy. However, this night I had a paranoid late-night dread running through me, that, that kind like being home alone at night with the wind and creaks and noises and needing to have the television turned on for company. It was not the first time I'd seen an old dude asleep on one of the benches. East Boston, Winthrop, and Revere had large elderly communities, and the blue line was their connection to downtown Boston. I'd had to wake many a senior citizen at this station to get them on the train, and would have done so for this old man, except 
I was in the mood to talk, not listen. And the elderly have a tendency to babble once they get warmed up. <laughs> Weather's good, isn't it? Yeah. I decided to wake him up the way many of the old drunks wake me when I'm napping in the station. I started a conversation. Hey man, you slipped through it. World's ended. God's just doing the flush out. I felt my gin-soaked slur was still passably comprehensible in English, but I was speaking quietly, you know, out of respect for his nap. He didn't stir. His head was tilted back and to the left, his mouth opened slightly, a tiny bit of drool leaving the corner of his lips, but not reaching the scraggled gray beard that covered his loose-skinned jowls. He was wearing a soaked Red Sox cap and a cheap plastic slicker, the thin, translucent kind you get at CVS for $1.99 which fell to, of course, just above his knees. His pants were soaked most way up his thighs, but he was lucky to have on a dry flannel shirt, except for the shoulders. There wasn't a dry shoulder left in Boston. I was soaked to the skin. Since the weather in the morning was still in the balmy 70s, I hadn't worn a jacket out and had paid the price under Floyd's downpours. Good thing two days before the storm I had shaved my hair down to a fuzz, so at least my head was drying quickly. Underneath his slicker, I noticed that the old man was gripping a Polaroid in both hands. The white strip at the bottom pinched between his thumb and forefingers. For a startling moment, I thought he was the anti-abortion man. It raced through my mind that this was the Polaroid, the very bloody, still-life image of his almost grandson, niece, child, the very picture that began his radical pilgrimage. I leaned in more closely, my bloodshot eyes wide, and through the translucent yellow slicker I could make out enough of a blur of the image to see what it really was, a German shepherd being petted. Between his thumb tips I could make out the letters T-H-E-N, written in black marker on the Polaroid's white strip. Strangely, I had had a German shepherd growing up named Sparta, and I guessed that his thumbs were covering the name Athens or Athena. Not bad doggy names, I thought. I leaned back and mumbled, Is that your dog? I had a German Shepherd growing up until I was about 12 or so named Sparta. She was the best dog I ever knew. <laughs> I stared at the tracks, listening to the dripping water running from the ceilings all around me. Without the rumble of the trains or the jumble of human voices, the leaks formed a delicate melody, steady at times to the point where I could almost hum along. Then changing as one rivulet sped or dried up. I remembered a time at university when I was sitting outside between classes. It was the first warm day of spring and the birds were ecstatic. Instead of reading my Heidegger, I closed my eyes and listened to the birds chirping and cooing. At times they all sung with one melody until one had to catch a breath or fly away, changing the tune. The drivels of water coruscating throughout the station held me in that same rapture until I heard a cough from the other end of the platform. A man had joined us, also soaking wet. He sat down about a dozen yards away. In the cavern of the empty station, he coughed again. The sound came toward me like a hungry crow. <clears throat> ah, I, was, I was just thinking about these birds I heard once outside UMass. Uh, I was supposed to be in philosophy class and ended up skipping it because they were singing. I couldn't stop listening. It was beautiful. Water in here sounds like that, like, like a melody. I glanced at him at the picture in his hands. 
Sparta, Sparta was the last dog I had, except for one we got when I was about 14 and my little sister was 12. The, the thing went nuts after it had its litter and ate them all. I mean, it ate all seven of its puppies. My sister tried to save the last one from the damn dog's mouth and it almost tore her face off. As it was, she had to have reconstructive surgery. You know, her lips still look funny. Dog was put down, of course. Fucking insane dog. I thought about what I was saying to this stranger. And even though he hadn't yet stirred, I, I didn't want to offend him or get in debate about cruelty to animals, especially if he was, you know, dog people. <laughs> so I stuttered you. Not that I have anything against dogs. I have two cats because, you know, I'm, I'm not a very reliable master. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, my cats can deal with me if I go out for a round or two after work once in a while and they won't shit all over the floor. <laughs> Well, sometimes they do, but they do it on purpose, not because they're fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I guess I'm showing my bias. Oh, yeah, I prefer cats. I mean, dog just bug me sometimes. I never know if I can trust him, you know? Seems to me they can turn too easily. I mean, your shepherd there, I, I'm sure she's an angel. Sparta, she never hurt a fly. So I think Sparta, she even felt bad about killing her own fleas. <laughs> he didn't budge. But I heard a gurgle and could smell that he pissed himself. It was then that I realized he was at least as drunk as I was and passed out. Unfortunately for him, his old bladder didn't have the young, if fading, resiliency of mine. He was pretty soaked anyway, so I decided to let him find out for himself. No reason to embarrass the guy. Hey! Wake up! I'm a complete stranger and just wanted to tell you that you pissed yourself! <laughs> Besides, he was a captive audience to that point. <laughs> Didn't even want to kill her fleas! <laughs> yeah, okay, a bad flea joke. <laughs> Are there any good flea jokes? <laughs> oh. No, seriously, aside from the occasional scratch behind the ears and cleaning the litter box once a week, uh, cats are a dream to support. I mean, no walks outside in the morning when it's freezing, no human being-sized piles of shit everywhere, no fucking barking. God, I fucking hate dogs and bark and bark and bark. Makes me think of new purposes for duct tape, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I'd never cause one pain. Well, unless it hurts me first. Or or someone I love. I mean, if I had known that Trixie, that, that was the dog we put down after she ate her pupsies, if I had known that after she was done with her pups, she was going to clamp her jaws around my sister's face, the old chap passed out in his piss was wrapped. Upstairs, a green line train squealed into the station. The sound sliced through the air, causing... An awful recent memory to return to me. Hey, you know, uh, just a few days ago, I was sitting on the beach wall, uh, you know, just a block down from my apartment. You know, that night I was watching the breakers churn as the hurricane had begun to foretell its arrival. It was, it was a moving thing to see the angry, dark gray power of the waves. Someone had thrown a bag of french fries into one of the trash barrels that lined the beach behind me. The ubiquitous seagulls, ever vigilant for free food, had taken the bag from the barrel and scattered it all over the sidewalk on the beach road. Their squawking made me turn to watch them as they battled over the diminishing quantity of fries. There were at least ten birds flapping away in the middle of the street, but it was even hard to count them because they were scrabbling and scrambling so much. Then I heard the screech of a car. A large brown SUV came around the corner at the end of the beach. Three blocks from where I was sitting, 
I could barely see the interior's details behind the dark-tinted windows, but I could tell that it was a young man driving and that he was only paying attention to blaring his stereo as he gunned the engine. I heard the bass begin to pound from the vehicle, loud as a telltale heart as the truck got closer. Most of the seagulls scattered, but one had not gotten his beak on another fry yet and was not leaving without one. He was a large, old bird, wide-built with deep gray wings and a scarred two-inch beak, obviously a veteran of leftover seaside feasts. As the truck bore down on him, he grabbed it one more fry as he took flight, held it in his beak, then dropped it. Perhaps the coming storm made him panic for the food because he stopped in mid-flight and landed again, too late to realize his error. The driver of the SUV never slowed down. Seagull, butch all the way, actually grabbed the fry again before making a running attempt to clear the front of the vehicle. He moved just far enough to get caught beneath the passenger side wheels. The fry shot from his mouth and ricocheted off the trash barrel where it had originally been thrown. And before the bird's insides came burbling redly out of his beak, the seagull screamed. A high-pitched squeal that made the blood drain from my face and my tears immediately water from my eyes. It was the sharp sound of a painful, brutal death. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I can't handle the sight or sound of any animal in pain. The bastard in the SUV just kept driving, like all those fucking sports truck drivers. They wouldn't stop if they hit a human. <laughs> that poor bird was only a few feet away from me. I, I could see how broken it was, crushed flat from the truck's tires, its red insides having split the skin, spilt from the body. But it wasn't dead yet. The body was crushed, but the head wasn't. The beak was closing around the guts that had come up its throat. It was gasping for breath, suffocating, and the small black eyes were still in the sockets, twitching, trying to focus. The sight was unbearable. I was in tears, crying like a baby, and I walked over to the thing and stepped on its head. The tears came again there in the station. I was crying the way I had during the incident, but a few but a few drops fell from my cheeks to mis mix with the rest of the moisture soaking my body. I know I'd put the bird out of what was left of its misery, but the feeling was gruesome nonetheless. As my boot came down on the bird's head, I felt its beak twitch open, the seagull's last valiant attempt to fight its enemy. I almost wanted to put my finger in its mouth and let it prick me so it could taste my blood and die knowing it did not go without a fight but I could picture the beak already full with the bird's own insides, and it made me remember my purpose for having its head beneath my boot. I pushed my weight down hard and fast. The feeling sickened me. I mean, I'd only had a few beers in me and no food, so the alcohol came up. I puked on the beach, buried it in the sand, all, all sour beer and bile. My stomach still retches when I think about the sharp brittleness of the bones as they crunched beneath my foot, the sound of that poor fucking bird's head imploding. I had my eyes closed and I didn't open them until after I had staggered to the beach and thrown up the Sam Adams in my stomach. I never looked at the bird again. The next morning, of course, as I walked to work, the carcass was gone. They clean up the beaches in my town every night. Don't want to upset the tourists now. I gotta say... The worst part might have been when I got home. I walked in, took off my boots, and immediately headed for the fridge and a few new beers to replace the ones I'd lost on the beach. Popped Sam Adams, went in the bathroom to take a leak. I was almost finished, you know, shaking it dry, when I heard my two cats 
screeching at each other like they had never done. Not even years before when I had first introduced Loretta, the young one, to Pixel. And they had to do all their you know, dominant male posturing and fighting. They hadn't fought with any hissing in at least five years, and I ran back into the living room, still zipping up. Loretta was perched on my left boot, the bird-killing boot, and growling at Pixel, who was crouched to pounce. As I watched, they dove at each other, all claws and teeth hissing. I ran in yelling, Hey! 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 They separated, but only to circle behind me and both make for the boot. When they got there, they started in again, scratching and spitting. I flipped the boot over and my stomach rolled again at the sight of what was on the bottom. It would have been one thing if it were a smear of red, but this... This viscera that had lodged up in the grooves and heel of my soul. It almost made me toss the few sips of beer I'd taken. I immediately ran outside and grabbed the garden hose, sprayed it all off the bottom of my boot, washed the mess away into the darkness below the porch. I was sure some other creatures besides my cats would vie for the small, meaty trophies. When I walked back into my apartment, the cats were sniffing and licking at the few spots on the rug where I'd tracked the remains of the seagull into the house. I bent down to pick up Loretta, and he hissed and lashed out at me, slicing open my thumb. Then he attacked Pixel again. In that moment, I felt rage and grabbed both of them by the scruff, lifting them off the floor. I held them apart and seriously considered the benefits of throwing them at the wall across the room or stuffing them into the oven to smarten them up. But my grip on Loretta was hurting him. He mewed a quiet but desperate sound. I put them both down. Before he could run away, I grabbed him, I hugged him close, and I started crying all over again. I looked at the picture of the old man's dog. His right thumb had shifted and was pointing back at his body, so I could see a lowercase a where the thumb had been. Athena. I knew it. You know, if you were awake, I bet you'd think I was a pussy. I bet you'd think I was a big fucking pussy cat person, right, huh? Well, no pun intended, pussy cat person. I hope not, though. If you love Athena, you know, your dog, like I love my pets, my cats, then you understand perfectly. And if you love her enough, if you love her enough to carry a picture of her around with you, you know, I'm sure you respect the lives of all animals, of all things. I hope so, Russell. I'll have to step on your head. My laughter was met with a strange glance from the man at the other end of the platform and a startled glare from a large black woman in a nurse's uniform who must come onto the platform while I was talking. She was close enough for me to see her frown at my drunken cackling. She returned to her romance novel, which was more exciting than my shenanigans. The sound of the train shunting toward us began to echo down the tunnel. It was finally time to head back into the storm and onward home. I stood up, stretched, turned, shook the old man's shoulder. Hey, dude, come on. It's time to go. Come on. Wakey, wakey. Time for us to get back to our homes, back to our pets, back to our precious things. Polaroid fell from his hands and landed on the wet concrete floor of the station. Athena, held in this old man's arms, the look of love beaming from the smile on his face and the open grin of the dogs. She looked just like Sparta. The man was dead. I didn't need any other clues after he fell over, but as he tilted onto the bench where I'd just been sitting, the new angle of his face let me see that his eyes were open, just a sliver. The thin iris showing around the pupil, dilated, was pale blue. The old man had already begun to stiffen, and it made me wonder how long he'd been sitting there. I was developing a bit of a panic. 
I couldn't strand the old man in the station, just leave his remains to the hurricane. I thought I was seriously considering getting to the approaching train and just running away. This was the duty I'd never expected to have. I could refuse it. Couldn't I? I picked up the picture of Athena. The man loved his dog. I could see that it had truly been his best friend. I wondered if he had a wife, and then saw the neem, bare calf, and fuzzy pink slipper in the corner of the photo. I wanted to meet Athena. Miss! Excuse me, miss, are you a nurse? I shouted. The black woman looked up from her romance novel and turned to me. Her face, stern with me for my laughter before, immediately registered professional concern. Yes, yes I am. Are you two okay? She saw the old man crumpled on the bench and began walking toward me. Um, I think he's dead. I mean, I mean, he's, he's dead. I didn't want to just leave him. I'm, I'm not sure what to do. When she got beside me, she looked at my face briefly, alarmed, and sat next to the man. She placed two fingers at his neck for a few seconds, then lifted an eyelid. She saw the pupil. Good Jesus, he had a stroke. He's already got rigor setting in. Didn't anyone notice? I said, no one's out in the storm. He's been overlooked. Well, we have to tell the conductor. The train's coming now. She stood and began waving her arms and yelling, Emergency! Emergency! as the train rounded the bend in the tunnel and pulled up to the platform. When the train stopped, the conductor stepped out of his cabin and began walking toward us, stepping carefully on the wet floor. black woman looked at me. I'm Kate. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Kate. I'm, I'm Chris. I'm fine. I'm, I'm just a bit shaken. I'm still a bit drunk. She smirked, not angrily. Well, I don't blame you on a night like this, but they're going to want to talk to you. Is that his... She gestured to the picture in my hand. Yeah, if possible, um, I'd like to send his family condolences. Uh, this was his dog, Athena. She, she was one of his most precious things. They'll have to take that picture from you, but you know they'll keep you in touch if you if you want to be. Not usually, you know. Most people just want their hands washed a bit. I stared at her. Most people. Her eyes were smart and sad. Honey. Do you realize this is the fifth dead guy I've had to deal with on the train just this year?